The scripture reading is from 2 Corinthians 1, verses 1 through 11. Please stand if you are able. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God that is in Corinth, with all the saints who are in the whole of Achaia, grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of all mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer, so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. This is God's word. So this morning we begin a new series. We're going to be going through 2 Corinthians. So I want to start with a little bit of background to the book. Now we often idealized first century Christians and for good reasons. They sacrificed their livelihoods and their lives to spread the gospel of Jesus and to plant the seeds of the church. But they had flaws just like we have flaws. The Christians in Corinth were riddled with immorality, divisions, pettiness, social snobbery, idolatry, and theological confusion. So the Apostle Paul wrote 1 Corinthians to address these issues. And then he waited to hear their response. Titus eventually arrived and told them, told him some good news, and that is that the majority of the Corinthians were responding, they were repenting for their sins, but there was still a faction that was rejecting Paul's words. They were following false teachers because they were impressed by the, the resumes and the eloquence of these opponents of Paul. As a result, they were falling into moralism and legalism. Paul realized that the future of the church was at stake. And so he wrote 2 Corinthians to clear up misunderstandings, to communicate his love to them, to offer them divine perspectives, and to lead them into a deeper inner relationship with Jesus Christ. The book of 2 Corinthians allows us to enter into Paul's heart to feel his compassion for Christ, 
his love for the church, and he confronts the misconceptions about himself, and more importantly, the misconceptions about the Christian life. He presents to us the Christian life as it should be lived despite challenges, afflictions, and persecutions. He highlights the fact that although we are pots of clay, we have a great treasure in us, in Jesus Christ, and that will make all the difference in the world. Let's pray. Father, may your spirit be our guide through 2 Corinthians and meet us today precisely where we are, leading us in rebuilding broken relationships, leading us to find your comfort in our suffering. God, meet each of us precisely where we are so that we might grow in Christ and become more like him. Amen. <clears throat> See, we, we all have a tendency to open our hearts to some people and to close them off to others. And when we, we open our hearts, we interpret everything from a positive perspective. When we close our hearts, we interpret everything from a negative perspective. I think a good example of that is the way we look at politicians. If there's a politician we like who proposes a certain policy, we usually see that policy as something good, something that's going to be helpful, it's out of a caring heart, and it's going to promote democracy. If we dislike the politician, even though he or she may propose the same policy, we see the policy as manipulative, serving special interests, harmful to America and a detriment to democracy. It's all about open heart or closed heart. Many of the Corinthians had closed their heart to Paul. They interpreted his humility as weakness, his sensitivity as manipulation, his firm stand on God's word as him being controlling. Paul's words would fall on deaf ears if the Corinthians didn't open their hearts to him. So Paul needed to build a bridge to them. This is the reason he begins his letter by talking about his suffering and the comfort that God gives in that suffering. Because he's trying to show them through this that he is all about God and he's all about them. And perhaps that would start to open up their hearts to him. So this morning, it's almost as though we have two sermons. One is going to look at our passage through the eyes of what Paul is doing in building a bridge to the Corinthians. And the second is to look at what God is teaching us about suffering and his comfort in suffering. So we begin with Paul building bridges to the Corinthians. How, how does he open up their hearts? So Paul was constantly being persecuted uh, for his faith. Therefore, he was afflicted and he suffered. But the false teachers used Paul's suffering as evidence that he wasn't an apostle. You know, it was common in that day to think if somebody was suffering, it was a result of personal sin. We see that in John chapter 9. You might remember 
Jesus' disciples come across a, a blind man and they, they ask Jesus, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? That was the common attitude. Jesus corrected that by saying it was not that this man sinned nor his parents, but it was the works, it was that the works of God might be displayed in him. Even though Jesus taught that this wrong theology of suffering persisted. So in order for Paul to build a bridge back to the Corinthians, he had to dispel the notion that his suffering was a result of his sin. And in the process, Paul does much more than that. He reveals that his suffering was proof that he was following God, that he loved Christ, and that he loved them. We open to verses 3 and 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Paul's suffering was not a sign of God's displeasure. As we see in this passage, it was cause for praising. It displayed God's worth, work in comforting and delivering. Blessed be God, the Father of mercies, the God of all comfort. God was revealing who he was through Paul's suffering. It was a blessing. And it was for their sake. He was comforted so that he would be able to comfort others in the way that God had comforted him. So these words refute the charge that Paul's ministry was self-serving he was serving God and he put his life on the line for God and for them. His affliction wasn't because of his sin, it was because he was being persecuted for Christ's sake. We see in verse 5, for we share abundantly in Christ's suffering. He wasn't suffering because of himself. He was suffering for the cause of Jesus Christ. He suffered in Christ's place. Colossians 1.24 unpacks this for us a little more. When he says, Now I rejoice in my suffering for your sake. In my flesh, I'm filled up with what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church. So Paul looked at his suffering in any ways, as a badge of honor that he was suffering instead of Jesus because the persecution wasn't directed at Paul for who he is. It was directed at Paul for what he was proclaiming, Jesus Christ. So on the one hand, Jesus' suffering lacked nothing. His death on the cross paid fully for all of our sins. It opened the door for a living relationship with God by taking our sin out of the way. On the other hand, there are those who still want to persecute Jesus Christ. But he's not here in the flesh to do that. And so they persecute the followers of Christ. And in that way, we fill up the sufferings that people want to impose on Christ himself. And Paul 
did feel that was a badge of honor, a privilege to suffer in that way. Paul's affliction was for the sake of Christ. It didn't disqualify him as an authority. It actually qualified him to be trusted. And his affliction was a sign not only that he was serving God, but that he was serving the Corinthians. As we look at verse 6, if we're afflicted, it's for your comfort and salvation. And if we're comforted, it's for your comfort. See, the false teachers said that Paul feigned concern for the Corinthians, that he was acting as though he cared for them when he really didn't. So Paul has to counter that argument to showing that his suffered, he was willing to suffer on their behalf. He was being persecuted so that they could have salvation. And everyone who has never heard the gospel could have salvation. See, Paul could have lived a relatively carefree life if he wasn't passionate about the souls of others. He was a rabbi on the rise. He was esteemed. And yet, he chose affliction with Christ over that easy life. It was for Christ and it was for their salvation. So, when he's afflicted, it's for them. And when he's comforted, it's for them. Because when he is comforted, he now is showing them how they can receive the same comfort for God. When he was comforted by being delivered, it was a message to them that they too could stand out for Jesus Christ and God would be for, there for them just as he was for the Apostle Paul. So there's one other feature in this passage that shows how Paul is building a bridge to the Corinthians, and that's his appeal for prayer, and we see verse 11. You also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. See, prayer not only brings our petitions to God, but prayer unites us around the mission of God. When they prayed for Paul, it helped deliver Paul so Paul could continue to share the gospel. It enhanced Paul's ministry. It would lead to more and more people coming to Jesus Christ. More people were saved and brought into God's kingdom. And so as people would see the answers to those prayers, they'd be thanking God and praising God. And so Paul is saying, join me, join me by praying for me. And we're expanding, you're helping to expand the kingdom of God to God's glory. Isn't that something you want? So pray for me. And when we pray for others, it draws us closer to them. You probably feel that when somebody says, I'll be praying for you, and they pray for you, you, you feel closer. Praying around the mission of God also draws us closer to one another. 
See, we have two prayer meetings in the church that really center around God's mission. We do share personal requests, but most of them are focused on bringing God's kingdom to a world in need. And I've found, especially in our Tuesday morning prayer, which everyone's invited to, it's, it's online, uh, it's on Zoom, that as we've come together in this type of prayer, we inspire one another in our mission for God. And we draw closer together. Our Tuesday morning prayer time has two people who haven't been in Westgate Church for almost a decade. One of them has been living in South Carolina. But because of the closeness that we have together because of that prayer, we stay together, we care together, we pray together. The second one is only monthly, and that's our Pray for the Mission, which follows church services the last Sunday of every month. I encourage you to join prayer times, which are about God's mission. He accomplishes much through that. So while Paul wrote this passage in order to rebuild a bond with the Corinthians, to regain his credibility, his words also show us a pathway to God's comfort in our suffering. See, Paul's affliction, he suffered because of persecution. God's comfort was he delivered Paul. So there's many Christians across the world who are suffering persecution. God's comfort is also offered through their deliverance. It's their persecution that's really the source of their suffering. But that's usually not the case for us. Our suffering is usually uh, a result of the types of things we pray for and our prayer chain. Cancers, severe COVID, mental health, hospitalization, suicides, the loss of loved ones, addictions, children gone astray, loss of jobs, rejection, failure, loneliness. In these times, we ask, where's God's comfort? Our passage offers us three insights into God's comfort. First, Paul was comforted by God because he had godly priorities. Hall of Fame running back Gail Sears wrote an autobiography capturing Paul's attitude in the title. It's called, I Am Third. God was first, others were second. Gail Sears felt he was third. The Apostle Paul felt he was third. You see, when we put ourselves first, when we are self-centered, we prioritize ourselves. We want our comfort. And so when our comfort is disrupted, we get frustrated with God. We begin to question him. Are you really there? Are you really involved? Are you really here engaged in my life? Do you really care for me? 
So we question his love and we question his will and his plan. And we feel that God, the only way God can comfort us is to take away our pain. And Paul didn't feel that way. He didn't question his affliction. He rejoiced in it. Romans chapter 5, verses 2 through 4. We rejoice in the hope of God's glory. Not only that, but we rejoice in our suffering. Knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, and character produces hope. Now, what's that hope in verse 4? It's the same hope as verse 2. Hope of the glory of God. Paul saw the process of suffering as a pathway to God being glorified. And that pathway was suffering produced endurance, constancy with God, keeping that connection to God. And when we keep that connection to God through our struggles, it begins to transform our character. And it trans begins to bring into our lives the qualities of Christ himself. And when we become more and more like Christ, we are showing the character of God himself to the world. And God is glorified if we let suffering do its work in us. So Paul could rejoice not only in the glory of God, but in his own suffering. God was number one in Paul's life. The Corinthians and others were number two. We see it in verse six. If we're afflicted, it's for your comfort and salvation. If we're comforted, it's for your comfort. He's looking at what he's going through and realizing this benefits others, those who need salvation and those who comfort. And that's what comforts his heart. See, Paul saw suffering in a very different way than most of us. Because he was third, he valued his affliction regardless of the cost to him. He found tremendous value in what he's experiencing, knowing that it would point to God and it would impact the lives of others. A second insight that we gain from this passage is that God's comfort in our suffering can be a means through which we comfort others. If we care about others, we should look at our suffering as a way in which we will be better prepared to comfort and care and minister to others. See, we all want to be a blessing. We become a blessing when we journey with friends through their difficulties in life. Let's look again at verses 3 and 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, the God of all comfort, comforts us in our affliction so that we're able to comfort any others in their affliction with the comfort that we receive from God. Our experiences with God, our walks with God, what we learn with God through the valleys prepare us to help and walk alongside others. 
we all find comfort when we find someone else who's going through what we're going through. Uh, one of my seminary professors, Craig Glickman, wrote this in, in one of his books about an incident in Dallas a number of years ago. He wrote, a young boy was in an accident that necessitated the amputation of one of his arms. He withdrew from his family and friends. He refused to talk to anyone. He was literally wasting away in withdrawal from life. A friend of mine went to the hospital and asked if he might visit the boy. The friend was met with skepticism, but they allowed him to visit. When he entered the room, he saw the youngster staring out the window. The boy turned to see the visitor, who also lacked one arm. The boy looked at him for a few moments in silence, then angrily said, you don't know how I feel, you couldn't. No, friend, you're wrong. I've also lived without one arm. The boy hesitated for a moment, then broke into tears as he ran toward my friend and put his one good arm around him. It was the beginning of the lad's recovery, which began when he found someone who could really understand him. See, there's a reason that churches have support groups for addictions and grief and divorce because people who've gone through it before us are a tremendous help to us when we go through it. In them, we find people who understand our experiences and have found God's comfort in them. You know, it's a reason why we can turn to Jesus no matter what we go through. Hebrews chapter 4, 15. We do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are in every respect has been tempted as we are. When we are going through deep valleys, we know that Jesus understands and he feels, he feels for us. See, he was persecuted, rejected, betrayed, abandoned by those closest to him, humiliated, physically tortured, he was poor, homeless, vilified, suffered loss, faced temptations to a degree we could never comprehend. He suffered death. He faced it. He felt, he felt the weight of sin because he bore our sin. The comfort he found, Hebrews 12 tells us, he endured the cross and despised the shame because of the joy set before him. You see, Jesus understood his suffering through the eyes of a per, an eternal perspective, with an eternal perspective. He knew that God was with him, God's plan was perfect, and that his death would be not only cause for God's glory, but for his life and our lives, everyone who believes. God comforts us so that we can comfort others. 
God's comfort comes when we prioritize God and the welfare of others above our own. And in the lessons we learn in the process that we can share with others. And we see, we see one of those lessons in verses 8 and 9. When Paul writes, For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia, for we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we'd received the sentence of death. But that was to make us ready, to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. See, Paul was about to die Three times he mentioned that he and his party were on the verge of death. Verse 8, he says, we despaired of life itself. Verse 9, we felt that we'd received the sentence of death. Verse 10, he delivered us from such deadly peril. Imagine what he felt as death approached. He was powerless. Death was inevitable. It's on the doorstep. He was without hope apart from God's intervention. And God intervened. He rescued him. Paul's life was spared. And Paul conveys the valuable lesson he learned. When we are powerless, he's powerful. When our resources are God, God's are still there. When we can't rely on ourselves, we can rely on God. And he passed this lesson to the Corinthians so that when they hit hopeless situations, they knew they had a God just like Paul's because he's the same God. You know, these verses remind me of uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the book of Daniel when they were thrown into a fiery furnace as a result of not worshiping a false god. They defied the king, saying, If it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the fiery furnace, and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, we do not serve your gods or worship the golden image you set up. Their trust was so great that they knew if God didn't deliver them in this life, he would deliver them into the next. If God is for us, who can stand against us? We can trust God even as we face death because either he will deliver us or he will bring us into his presence. As Paul wrote, we can rely on the God who raises the dead. Christians throughout history, even those martyred, relied on God and found him faithful. You know, there's other lessons that we learn in our personal journeys of suffering that are invaluable. Pass them on to others. But I'm going to share a few from a woman who suffered in the Nazi death camps because her family hid Jews from their oppressors. Corey Ten Boom endured unspeakable horrors. The loss of her sister in the process discovered a rich relationship with God. And she passes on a number of lessons she learned. Here's six of them. When a train goes through a tunnel and it gets dark, 
You don't throw away your ticket and jump off. You sit still and you trust the engineer. My job was simply to follow God's leading one step at a time, holding every decision up to him in prayer. Happiness is something, isn't something that depends on your surroundings. It's something we make inside ourselves. The measure of life is not its duration, but its donation. Nothing is too great for his almighty power. Nothing is too small for his love. There is no pit so deep that God's love is not deeper still. These sayings may sound simplistic coming from me, but they're deeply meaningful when we realize they come from a woman who went through a living hell in a death camp. Paul adds another lesson in chapter 12 when he writes, God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Therefore, I, most, I boast all the more gladly in my weaknesses that the power of Christ may rest upon me. And he adds another one in the second, uh, in chapter four. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. See what we have to look forward to as we read this book? Because Paul loved God and he loved the Corinthians, he looked at his affliction through God's eyes and he rejoiced in it. And he passes to us lessons he learned so that we might be comforted by God in the same way he was comforted by God. Let's pray. Our Father... May we cherish the unity of the church as Paul cherished it. May we be willing to cut through misunderstandings. And I know God personally, when I'm misunderstood, I usually think, well, that's their problem. Instead of being like Paul, of taking every effort to clear up that misunderstanding. When I'm diminished and I want to share what, what I, how I serve Christ. I feel like I'm grandizing, so I never say it. Because I don't want to risk looking like I'm a braggart. But Paul was willing to risk that. Because reconciliation was understanding was important because the unity of the church is so critical. We've, may we have that attitude. And Lord, may we have the attitude of Paul in suffering that we might rejoice in it knowing that it is a pathway if we walk with you to your glory. Lord, transform us into the image of Christ. In Jesus' name we pray.
Amen.